It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield. I like messing with him, but he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> it's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Tuesday, Cofield and Company. Willie's here. Cofield, Philly Toyota Studios. Ari alongside as well. A lot going on around the NFL. A lot going on with the Raiders. Internally, there's some stuff, but externally, bringing in outsiders, not a whole lot. We'll get to that in about 15 minutes. Boy, oh boy, the league. We hear whispers about morality and that the league is going to punish Deshaun Watson. Are we sure on both fronts? Because, man, oh, man, rumors have it that we're up to like six or seven teams now with Deshaun Watson. So we'll tell you about the six or seven teams in the running. Is one of them the Raiders? But we start with the Golden Knights. My Lord. Last week, middle of the week, we're hanging out with our buddy Justin Watkins, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider. And he's a big hockey fan, season tickets, you know, followed this thing from the start. We uh, love to have him in the conversation. And we talked about the five-game road trip. And that was after the loss in the first game. And it's like, they got to they gotta get seven points on this trip. Seven! Now, at this point, salvage anything you can freaking get. This has been an utter disaster. They're not healthy in front of Robin Leonard. He ain't healthy. They just got their ass kicked by Columbus. Now they land in the peg. I mean, it's not panic time, but it's close. It's I would say, <laughs> it's not your face. <laughs> I would say it's panic time. As you know, I mean, Pete DeBoer saying we got a lot of hockey to play. Just the other night, I'm thinking to myself, a lot of hockey to play. Come on, dude, you're a uh, 32, 25, and 4, which equates to 61 games. You got 21 games left. That's 25% of the season. And you are holding off Vancouver in the fourth spot, tied with Edmonton, each with 68 points. But, you know, uh, Edmonton's playing with a so much better of a purpose than, than Vegas right now. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> Uh, this is not going to be an easy game, even though Winnipeg's in sixth place in the Central Division. They're 15-11-2 at home. Mm. And Vegas just isn't playing with any sort of, you know, I they're playing in desperation mode, but they're not playing, as and I've used this phrase all season, they're not playing with any sort of deliberate purpose. They are playing scared. They're playing scrambled. They're playing lost. There's no chemistry. You bring in Jack Eichel, you lose Stone. Now you lose Pacioretty. I mean... Do you feel like there could be a vibe around the organization with the trade deadline coming up, right? Yeah. So we got the trade deadline on March 21st. This organization has always been balls to the wall. They don't care about public perception. If they need to improve, they want to make a change, whether it's the coach, the goalie. They will make a change. Do you almost feel like that's backfiring? What are you hearing? Like behind the scenes, are, are people looking around like, okay, I'm like, 
Yeah. I, I, Am I next? Like, what are, are there going to be wholesale changes to get this thing going in the right direction? Well, they're, they've been out of town, so it's sort of difficult to get anybody on the phone, get get anybody to confirm anything. But there's no doubt in my mind, considering how the upper management handles press, um, considering how upper management has handled trade deadlines, considering how they handled the Marc-Andre Fleury, and yes, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, there was... I mean, you could you could knock both sides, and in, in what was said, in in uh, as far as fibs are concerned, but with the unrestricted free agents that are coming up, and now you have Riley Smith on IR, uh, Braden McNabb, he's locked up, but uh, I, he was a UFA. He they locked him up, but anybody is expendable to me at this point, other than probably Mark Stone. Leonard, Marchesaw. I would say those three. Eichel. Eichel, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, anyone else is, you know, they have to be on pins and needles wondering what's going on because you are you definitely don't, considering the tempers of Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, you know, and, and just how they've been in, in the first four years of this franchise, four and a half, they can't be happy, and the thing is, they don't have any room to 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 put place blame with the injuries that have taken place. The only place you can really look at is Pete DeBoer and his staff, and saying, "Okay, well, you're the coach. You're supposed to be a fantastic coach. It's been in the Stanley Cup twice. Yes, you lost there, but you got there. You've been in conference finals. You've succeeded with this team in getting to the conference finals. You have to play the cards that are dealt to you, and you're not getting it done. But at the same time, it's a stacked deck." And it's against you. So I I would definitely think that there are a lot of nervous people on this roster and coaching staff um, with the way that the team is performing because it's lackluster performances that are hindering this team right now and not slowly sinking it, but rapidly sinking it. They've lost four straight. They got a tough one in Winnipeg. They come home. They got to play the Panthers. Not going to be easy. And then they got a matinee. You play a 7.30 game. That's 30 minutes more. And yes, it's at home. But you're playing late. And then Saturday, you got a matinee. No morning skate. So you'll be right back at the arena against the LA Kings. And Los Angeles, hello. Second place, five points behind Calgary in the Pacific Division. They're on top of Vegas. So... With the way they're playing. Now, if they had split on this trip, if they had gotten some points, if they were playing with any sort of semblance, they could go in with a little bit of confidence tonight. But at this point, they're going in with question marks and wondering, how do we get this done? So that's the problem because I don't know if they can build off this game. Can they show up and win? I mean, sure, I guess. But when you look at what they've done, Philly, Buffalo, I don't know. I don't know if they win this week. There could be three losses staring at them, Steve, tonight, Thursday, and Saturday. NCAA tournament starts tonight. You got a couple of Texas schools going out to the start things at 340 our time. Both of these games are on True TV. Corpus Christi against Texas Southern. Texas Southern, the slight favorite. And then uh, one of the Mountain West teams that made the tournament, Wyoming. Quick turnaround, right? Indiana, Dayton, long trip for Wyoming, short trip for Indiana. 
guess I'm rooting for Wyoming. Well, I know I'm rooting for Wyoming. I can't stand Indiana. And their fans, one of the many fan bases I can't stand, still tainted by all that was Bobby Knight. Wyoming. Did you pick them? I did. You did? I, I got them. Okay. I got Wyoming, and I got Wyoming moving on. Okay. To the next round. All right. You're very confident. Not tonight. You're, it looks like you're waiting for me to attack you on that. No, because you and I attacked JVT yesterday when he attacked us. We did go after Von Tobel. Yeah. Did he attack us? Well, not really. He just, well, I said Wyoming, and he was like, ah, I got the other side, Willie. And then he did a whole breakdown, and then you jumped in. and But you and I had Wyoming. He had Indiana. I kind of jumped in uh, like half-assed because I said, um, I think Wyoming giving, well, getting a new look defensively from Indiana will be interesting. Because you everyone, said I think they can win. Yeah, everyone, in the, everyone in the conference here in the Mountain West Conference knows what their post-up game is like and that they've got you know a two-headed monster posting up. Uh, Indiana hasn't you know faced that. It's kind of a, a relic of the past in college basketball. But the, the downside of Wyoming is that they were very tired down the stretch. And because they're in a play-in and because they have the long trip, they're at a disadvantage because at least as far as the gas tank goes. Okay. Well, you know what? You get on a flight, you take a nap, you charter, whatever you got to do, and you get there and you play. These are ball players. These are young athletes. I get it. And, but EK looked tired in the tournament. What do you want me to tell you? Well, they're, they're, but He's they made it. But, but you know what? You saw how excited they were. The selection committee uh, brings them in, right? ESPN zeroes in on them. They go crazy. That was the big question mark. They make it. That could breathe new life. And I'm going to tell you something. These two teams are damn near identical with their stats when it comes to the metrics, okay? Uh, Cowboys, 73.8 points per game, 40% shooting. They've held opponents to 65 points, 41% shooting. Indiana, very similar. I'm going to tell you where the difference lies if Wyoming can keep this one close, okay? The ability to make free throws. Indiana ranked last in the Big Ten, averaging less than 70% from the stripe. Wyoming led the Mountain West in made free throws and faces an Indiana team that committed more fouls than almost any other Big Ten well, squad. That's, that's so, going to be the other big factor, as we've mentioned multiple times, is what the officiating is like. And I know the Big Ten is physical. I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. The post-up teams in the Mountain West Conference, like Wyoming, force the officials to call the game a certain way. And if they freak out at contact, then we could be dealing with one side or the other is in a lot of foul trouble, and that goes a long way in dictating what happens in the game. Coming up in a little bit, we're going to talk to B.J. Reigns, who's covering Boise. Boise will play on Thursday, and we'll also talk about the Mountain West Conference with some travel woes just getting to these freaking games. It's a real problem, not for UNLV, but it's a real problem for a lot of schools out there trying to travel to events like this, even though the NCAA is in charge of things. All right. So we come in here. We'll go down the laundry list of all the moves the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Chiefs have made. Raiders, we'll get to some restructuring, but they've lost guys who are backups. They've really added no one. George Shiruri from Pro Football Focus said, if I were a fan of a team that didn't spend in free agency today. This was yesterday. If I were a fan of a team that didn't spend in free agency today, I would be very happy. Are Raiders fans really happy right now with what's going on? 
Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, back here on this Tuesday, just getting started off, hoping some big Raiders news comes in today, or maybe we're not. Maybe we're not. Raiders have not done a whole lot aside from losing guys and doing some contract restructuring. And we just told you, one of the guys over at PFF, George Sharuri, said, if I were a fan of a team that didn't spend an F, uh, FA today, free agency today, I'd be very happy. That was yesterday at 530. I don't think most Raiders fans look at it that way because right now, if you're looking around the AFC West, let's see, uh, Denver over the last week or so has traded for Russell Wilson, uh, Ben Braden in as an offensive guard, DJ Jones, $30 million deal, defensive tackle, Josie Jewell re-upped Randy Gregory earlier today. For a big number, $70 million. Chiefs have reorganized several players, including Frank Clark, who's you know down from like 19 mil a year to 14 mil a year. Orlando Brown is still around. I'm sure they're going to work out a deal with him. He's franchise tagged. And they did get a safety replacement for the Honey Badger in Justin Reed at $31 million. And then, of course, there's the Chargers. Not the biggest move, but... Chase Daniel, the latest clipboard Jesus. Chargers fans know that reference, but Chase Daniel never plays, but he makes money every year. Uh, Mike Williams re-ups for 60 mil. SJD from the Rams, Sebastian Joseph Day. He's in to fortify the defensive line. Austin Johnson is in from the Giants to fortify the defensive line. Khalil Mack, defensive end linebacker, picked up in a trade last week. And, of course, if you believe some reports, the Raiders were in on J.C. Jackson Chargers got him out of the hands of the Patriots, out of the hands of the Raiders. So the other teams in the AFC West, Willie, have been very busy. Are you as patient as George from PFF says you should be? Well, I he, <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. Where the, how could the fans be content and and okay and happy with this? But well, I'm not. I'm not saying that I agree with fans who are freaking out. I'm just in general asking how the fans are right now. And I think there are some, I see some out there who are like, you know, following uh, Reverend Hondo because uh, Hondo was lecturing fans, which is funny um, about being patient. You know, things are going to come. And then there's the other side. You've got fans, bloggers who are freaking out. Like what's going on. We have done nothing. The one, the only thing that stands out is as much as the, as much as we've seen from this division, I mean, is it safe to say that as as contentious as this division's been, that this is probably of all the divisions, the most action, the most the, the moves, the, the most intriguing, what it comes, you know. And the fact that the Raiders have done nothing with the new coaching staff, does it make you wonder if they've got something in the works, they're working, they're they're cooking, they're doing something? Because how do you not do anything? They're, they have not done one thing. And I mean, the Chargers are playing the Rams game. Uh, it just looks like they're out. Well, what's the advantage the Chargers have over 
the Raiders. One, they had more money available. Two, their quarterback doesn't make a whole lot of money. This is what happens with the rookie quarterbacks. You have extra money until they get their mega deal. So the Chargers are the one team in the division that has a cheap quarterback is going to have some extra funds to go around the rest of the team. Right, but and the, and they're and we're seeing the Raiders clear up some funds with other guys going elsewhere, but doesn't mean that they can't make arrangements or 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 or, or work deals to move guys out to bring guys in either. They've done nothing. So as aggressive as we're seeing the Broncos, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and active in terms of the rivals, the Raiders right now look like the four team in the AFC West. They look like the team like if you're you know if you're gonna predict the finish, but it just makes me wonder with as quiet as it's been, the pa- building the Raiders the Patriots way, Ziegler and McDaniel. They gotta have something. I just think that they've got something up their sleeve, and something's gotta be cooking. I I can't imagine if there's not, then they must have something up their sleeve for the for the for the draft. But I I I don't. Otherwise, what are they doing? You know that's that's the yeah. big question. It's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm with uh, the PFF guy in that. I think there's a middle class, and then a a bargain area in free agency. <sighs> where the Raiders can reside and do really well. And as I said yesterday, and as, as I said for weeks, all this stuff out there that they were going to spend 15, 18, 22 million dollars a year on defensive backs or a wide receiver, like it's not the Patriots way. So unless Dave Ziegler, the GM and Josh McDaniels were, you know, breaking from what they know, this was to be expected. Now, here's the thing. They have a plan. You keep asking if they have a plan. They have a plan, and I think they've I think they've been involved on some of the high-dollar guys, mm-hmm. but in the end they made a decision, hey, it's too much. I think they have a plan for that middle-class area, that mid-level free agent, but then do you get to a point where maybe you've overplayed that and then you whiff on some of those? I mean, they were – this was an interesting one with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake on the roster. Apparently they were toe-to-toe with the Patriots on James White, the running back. Third down, pass-catching running back. That should suggest something, right? That should absolutely suggest something that that, that I don't think both Drake and Jacobs are in the plans. I don't think both are in the plans. If you're, if you're trying paid, to get, but, but if you're trying you, to get here, more depth I, I at running who, back... I, I know who I think is more than likely in the plans, and I who personally, not that I know anything, but who I think that they'd rather deal or let go and who's who would stay in the plans. I believe Drake is in the plans and Jacobs is expendable in their mind. He's younger. Maybe they feel he's could get value, but I think playing wise, experience wise, and what they can provide what he can provide based off that, you know, the sample size they saw when Drake needed to step up and play that role out of the backfield. I think that they, I think Drake is the guy that they're going to turn to for the nuts and bolts, and then they can and and make J- Jacobs expendable. I lean that way as well. I lean that way as well. A reminder: we're going to be out at the Westgate. We've got a bunch of NCAA viewing parties and shows going down. Well, they do at the Westgate in the Superbook, so we're going to be around. Press Box Thursday and Friday doing their show live in the book from 7 to 10 in the morning. 
Sylvia from Comp, she's awesome. She'll be out there middays, Thursday and Friday, 10 to 2. And then we'll be there early afternoon, special time on Friday, 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 Friday at the Westgate, 1 to 4 with Cofield and Company. So I mentioned some of the restructuring, Willie. Yeah. Andre James, new cap charge, way down. All right, so that's good. And I think Andre James is a guy to be fired up about. He did not have a very good beginning of the season, but he got much better in the second half of the season. And clearly, what, 90% of the roster is trying to prove itself or could be worried about going bye-bye with the new regime. So clearly these guys like Andre James and they think he can play. Brandon Faison is gone as well. So he's going to follow Gus Bradley. We're going to see where all the, you know, kind of the, the guys who had to step up at the end of the year. Whether it was, you know, Ruggs being a jackass and Zay Jones getting an opportunity and then Zay Jones signing yesterday, agreeing yesterday with the Jaguars to a $24 million deal, upwards of 30 mil. We're going to see some of those guys who stepped into roles at the end of the season, second half of the season, get jobs elsewhere. So Faison's one of the first guys, so he's going to go with Gus Bradley to uh, Indiana. Or check that, Andy, Indianapolis. It is Indiana. It's not going to surprise me if if he, if... There's a few people that follow Gus Bradley. It, it wouldn't shock me one bit because they followed him here. And it was the main reason that they came here. Every time we talked to them, you know, upon arrival or when they were made to be available, they were the players of choice. It was always about Gus Bradley. It was always about what he brought, the energy, the this, the that, the, you know, the simplicity of his defense, of his system. So it's not going to surprise me if guys follow him, and it won't surprise me whether they follow him or not. If they if they if they bolt, because now it's a whole new ball game, and who knows what they they don't even know. Right? We don't know what they're running yet. We don't know what defensive front. We don't know what we don't know what the game plan is. So, you know, if if there's a big shakeup, guys are going to walk. Guys are going to move. Guys are going to be you know they're going to favor leaving Las Vegas someplace they feel more comfortable. Are you mad about the Broncos taking Randy Gregory from the Cowboys when the Cowboys tweeted out, deal was done? Oops. Yeah, you know, I guess it happens. What are you going to do? It's I, I'm, I'm not as mad as probably Jerry Jones. Ari's <laughs> mad. Well, Ari's always mad. What were you mad about, Ari? I was actually not mad. I just thought it was uh, funny to see the Broncos Wait. Twitter act like a normal person and not the uh, Twitter of a NFL team. Well, you said it was, didn't you say D move, bro? Is that on Gregory or on the, on the Broncos? All Twitter? they did was on the Broncos Twitter. I love it. I think it's I, great. I thought my it was a great Willie is a, as a Cowboys fan. Not, I thought it was a great tweet. This is good. I love the Cowboys I, tweeted out. The deal was done. Right. Broncos tweet out. Surprise. Surprise. Oh. Deal not done. I Stephen Colbert. With... Surprise. I Sorry. love it. I love when, I love when that. pro teams, because that's not, it's not personal. You're not taking a shot at a person or someone's family or, or, or a, you know, a, a bad situation. It's like, you know, surprise. I, I love stuff like this when the teams do this. Why, so, can't, why can't it be about the family? I don't, what if the Broncos followed up surprise with a photo of Jerry Jones' lady from 25 years ago and his daughter? Surprise! <laughs> We all know. You know what I'm, ta- I'm talking so about. I can't like, work for, I'm talking about. I can't work for an NFL social media department because of my sense of humor. I'm talking, talking about if it was personal and there was something going on with your. If something happens with somebody's family and then you start tweeting out family. That's what I'm saying. So, if the, be, so if the Cowboys, if the Cowboys tweeted back after a surprise 
a picture of someone smoking a giant doobie. Surprise! You got Randy Gregory! He's had trouble with weed before! <laughs> would it be Snoop? Come on, can we do this? Can it be Snoop? Can it be Snoop, yeah. yeah. That would be a good... That would be fine! Something that happened. It, it, it did happen. It actually cost Randy Gregory a good portion of his career, which, you know, that's another... That's actually kind of interesting. I know they lightened up the weed rules in the NFL, but, I mean, he was, he was a really big story because the NFL, until it updated things, was very anti-marijuana, and his whole case was, I'm bipolar. Like, to live a normal life, like, I got to freaking toke up. Did you see the memes? There was a meme. There was, oh, yeah. there was one out there, and it said, you know, uh, Dallas, we're going to resign you for this. Smiley face. And the next one was like, Denver, did you know weed's legal in Denver? And then it had the, the, the gif was of somebody smoking weed. That's great! Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Texas! <laughs> the crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. So Raiders quiet so far. The quarterback stuff is getting crazy. You know, we spoke all offseason. Not that the offseason has been that long so far, but even during the season, we talked about the future at quarterback in the NFL, that there could be a bunch of guys available. Turns out Aaron Rodgers was not available. He um, goes back to Green Bay. Good luck to him. I hope Devontae Adams is going to come back. Russell Wilson gets traded. But, you know, the list was Rodgers, Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Well, now Deshaun Watson is up, and he's still facing all these allegations on the civil front. Outside of what we kind of heard about the Steelers, Passing on an opportunity to talk trade. Teams are in on this, man. We got yesterday we talked about Saints, Panthers, Seahawks. Now we're throwing in Falcons. That it? No. There's some big ones out there. That are getting involved. Cleveland is well, yeah. fascinating. Fascinating. So we're going to get to that with uh, our expert from Pro Football Talk a little after 4 o'clock, Miles Simmons. Now on Rodgers, uh, as of this morning, early morning, he still had not signed the contract. 10 a.m., around 10 a.m., he signed the contract. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, new deal, $150 million over three years. So, again, you know, we've got multiple quarterbacks who when – the biggest, most trustworthy guys in the NFL media send stuff out. They say fake news. It wasn't fake news. I don't, I'm not a giant fan of Rappaport. He's kind of a horse's ass. But he did, <laughs> he did tweet out the terms last week that it would be around $50 million. And for three years, so $150 million, that's the going rate for the top quarterback in the game. And now we, now we sit and watch. Right? What's that, what's that gif with the... Someone eating popcorn, right? Yeah. The theater all fired up. Like yeah, yeah, right. I have the popcorn going 100 miles an hour, waiting for Devonte Adams. I'm like, is it enough I, to go? Is it enough to go back without a long term deal and a market value long term deal just to play with Aaron Rodgers? I'm not sure. Yeah, but and then you have the report of Devonte turning down reportedly an offer. So just because Aaron Rodgers inked his name to it, I still not convinced that Adams wants to stay. 
I mean, we, we're sitting here putting Aaron Rodgers on this pedestal, and I know he's a good quarterback. Yes, the numbers tell us that. He's done some remarkable things, but how many Super Bowls is he have? Because we're gauging a lot, of st- a lot of other quarterbacks on what they've done in the postseason. And, yeah, teams haven't gotten there or, t- or once or twice. And, yeah, I'm alluding to Derek Carr. They haven't been to the playoffs, but once, twice while he's been there, he only got to play in one game. And he is 0-1. But the ultimate goal, win or lose in the playoffs, is to win the Super Bowl. It's the same thing that I said when they got rid of Flurry. The ultimate goal is to win the Stanley Cup. He had a chance. He didn't get it done. Aaron Rodgers, he's got one. So, great. $50 million a year. Good for you, kid. But Devontae Adams, does, does he do? We don't know that he wants to stay there. Just Give me because- a prediction, right? Devontae Adams is like, all right, the quarterback just got the top money. At his position. I'm actually in my prime. I want top money on my position. So he goes to them and he's like, you know what I want? Minimum five years, 125, $80 million guaranteed. If the Packers can't give it to him, won't give it to him. Do the fans then turn on Devontae Adams? Like, how could they? Like, Rodgers wanted security and more length in his deal. Adams is in his prime. Let me ask you I'm going to play on a one-year deal. No, I want want to be paid as the number one receiver in football, and whatever Aaron did is what Aaron did. But I want my money, and I want my security. Well, let me ask you this. Do the fans turn on Devontae Adams? Does does Devontae Adams even care, realistically? They're not paying him. I mean, they're buying the season tickets. They're funneling the revenue. to. But the point is, is, what does he care? The bottom line is, if if you're if you're demanding to be paid as the number one guy, and a team out there is going to give it to you, and the Packers aren't the team, see ya. And that's just the way it's got to be. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio, studio. Lady Rebels back on the court on Saturday, NCAA tournament, Arizona, Tucson is the matchup. We wanted to talk a little women's basketball with a true expert. This guy covers it all year long. It's Willie. It's Cofield. Charlie Cream is the uh, women's basketball expert, uh, bracketologist for ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. Charlie, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Good to be with you. I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm glad you're on with us. Uh, You know, let's go back to the brackets. Uh, Like I said, you're the expert. You tell us, was there anything really egregious about seeds or anyone left out or placement? There really wasn't. Um, you know, that, the committee gives us a little bit of a, a clue with those top 16 reveals that they did three times this year. Sometimes they do them twice. But, and so you get a kind of an idea of where they're going. So you're, you're, not, you're not as shocked or surprised. Now, if, if I were to be czar for the for the women's college basketball world and they let me pick the bracket it would have looked different but i wasn't i wasn't overly surprised mine would have been fairly similar uh i I missed one team on the bubble but you know the bubble was tough this year i was actually sweating bullets before the selection show (laughs) before i got a look at that bracket i was nervous that i was going to be far further off than i was Uh, so it was it was so i guess from my perspective it was Okay, the committee did a good job because I kind of was in lockstep. So who missed out on the bubble? Uh, who got you know particularly peeved? Well, I think if you're um, if you're Missouri, I had Missouri in, and I and certainly a case can be made for leaving them out. 
and, and the committee put the poll in. So that was the, the difference in opinion that we had. Missouri is one of the only two teams all year that beat South Carolina. So, you know, I figured that would weigh pretty heavily on uh, conversation within the committee room. Uh, it apparently didn't weigh heavily enough. And DePaul really, frankly, kind of stunk down the stretch. They lost their quarterfinal Big East game by 20 points to a team that's not in the NCAA tournament. And they, they, went to, they needed double overtime to beat a Georgetown team that, frankly, is terrible. <laughs> so I was surprised that DePaul got the nod. I, I would have probably picked a couple other bubble teams if you weren't going to take Missouri over DePaul. But as I said, it was a it was a pretty hotly contested bubble, so I I wasn't going to lose my mind over that one. Do you have a general feel about this? Is laughable. I'm not even going to say this, but about uh, what the committee really values. You just mentioned, you know, DePaul crapped the bed at the end, but they get in. I just I found it on the men's side where I'm like, I I don't get what the most important part of the season is. Is it the conference tournament? Is it the regular season? Is it your non-con in December? Like with the women's bracket, do you feel like they do a better job than the men's? Because the men's is completely confusing uh, in terms of what the actual qualifications are. Well, I think, you know, they, they take all of the things you mentioned into consideration, but I do think that you get to a certain point where they they kind of go you, every year. And it might be a little bit different from year to year. You kind of get themes. And, and as in we're lucky on the women's side, as we get a little insight, I get to ask the committee chair a whole bunch of questions hmm. in a teleconference three times a year when they do these reveals. So I got a little – and I try, to, I try to ask questions that are just going to give me clues as to how their conversations are going and, and how teams were playing at the end of the season – you know, big wins that they had, whether they were conference or non-conference, but big wins really mattered. Uh, and net rating, not maybe not as much the the pure number, but the number of wins you did you had against good rated net teams did matter. So uh, you know, for instance, um, but just well, I should stop there and just say that didn't hold true everywhere though. So I, I get where there's certain confusion on on parts of this because you could. You could look at, say, where, where Iowa was seated on the women's side as a two and, and where Texas was seated as a two. And Gonzaga got seated as a nine. And I thought those were high for all those teams. But what, Kentucky was a six. Where they ended up getting seated was, as I said, higher. But they were conference tournament champions. I think that had a whole lot to do with it. But then you get to a team like DePaul, who didn't do anything in their conference tournament, didn't play well down the stretch, still got in the tournament. So, yeah. Seems a little contradictory and, and harder to follow, but I think in general, the things I mentioned were, were the big talking points in that committee room. And, and, and part of the problem with that is it's, it's, it's not one or two people making these decisions on what they should zero in on. It's 12 people now focusing in on maybe a different thing than the person sitting next to them. So then, then these, some of these votes do seem contradictory or hypo, hypocritical in a way like I said, the Paul getting in, but Iowa getting a two seed for, for reasons that are completely different, and and then it leaves the rest of us sort of scratching our heads. Getting you ready for the women's tournament, Charlie Cream, ESPN, ESPN.com is here with us. Of course, we have the Lady Rebels on uh, one of our LV Sports Network stations. That's on Saturday, seven o'clock. That'll be on nine twenty a.m. Willie, let's get into that side of things. So UNLV against Arizona, and of course, the interesting storyline there, Charlie. Lindy LaRock um, is not your garden variety second-year coach. She knows the Pac-12. She knows Adia Barnes. She knows that system, and she knows how to prepare a team after coaching under Tara Vanderveer. 
they can win this game. I'm, I, I didn't pick it because, I, frankly, I, I, I chickened out. But, <laughs> but I think the Lady Rebels can win this game, and, and this is why. This is not the best Arizona team we've seen all season. Uh, their best player, Kate Reese, yep. missed the end of the year with an injury. She's, prop, she's supposed to be back. Right. That's, a, that's good news for Arizona. However, Arizona doesn't, still doesn't score the ball great. And at the end of the year, they were really bad on offense. They scored in the 40s twice in their last four games. I think uh, if foul trouble doesn't get in the way, and you mentioned how Lindy LaRoe can, can, can coach in a situation where a Pac-12 team is somebody she's going to know and be familiar with, I think this is, is one of those games you need to kind of circle if you're making picks, if you're going to the book, that the UNLV can pull this one out. Because this is not, as I said, it's, it's not the Arizona team of last year, and it's not even the Arizona team of January. Right. And I think, and that's, I think that's the biggest factor here is just this team is sort of sputtering, and they're not a great, they're not a great rebounding team. So, you know, higher-seeded teams, they can dominate physically, are usually, in the women's game, are usually easy, easy advancing, right? There's not going to be an upset there. But this Arizona team isn't that. They're not going to dominate UNLV on the boards. And from an offensive standpoint, I think the two teams are at least comparable. And UNLV, statistically, is a better offensive team. So I think the Lady Rebels have a real shot here. Yeah, the thing that I think that what what Arizona is missing is Ari McDonald and having that catalyst to be able to score. So let's talk about the number one seeds, South Carolina, Louisville, NC State, Stanford, your opinion, first number one to go. Wow, that's a that's a that's a tough one because because in, in in the women's game typically we see number one seeds get to yes we do at that's least why. the elite, <laughs> at least yeah. the elite eight. NC State lost in the Sweet Sixteen last year, but they lost to a pretty good Indiana team. But generally speaking, they get to the elite eight. Now, uh, but I want to answer your question, and and quite honestly, I think it's I think Baylor's the best team in the Wichita region. They're the two seed. I think they 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 can beat Louisville and Stanford. Is clearly to me the second best team in the country. However, their two seed is Texas. Texas beat Stanford early in the year, and Stanford struggles with athletic, quick backcourts because they really don't have a true point guard. So I could see Stanford winning the whole thing again, and I could see Stanford losing to maybe a Texas or an LSU who's in the bottom half of that region as well because they have experienced guards and three of them that can all score and all defend. And so Stanford's going to have to play one of those two teams in all likelihood. They might have a tough time getting out into the Final Four. I, Iowa-South Carolina matching up in a lead eight matchup in Greensboro is intriguing. Oh. It'll be the most publicized game of the entire tournament, yep. short of the national championship game. But I don't think Iowa defends well enough. It's, it's really interesting contrast in styles because I worry about South Carolina's offense, and Iowa can't guard anybody, generally speaking. So, it, 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 so if the game's played in the 80s, well, Iowa's going to have the advantage. If the game's played in the 60s, South Carolina's going to win that one. So I, I really didn't answer your question definitively and give you one team, but I think I'm going to pull back and say Louisville is, is, is the worst number one on the board, and I think they would be the most vulnerable and the first one to go out because I honestly think Baylor in that same region is a better team. I agree with you there, but I think that Iowa-South Carolina game is going to be phenomenal, and I actually think Iowa pulls it out, and I'm looking forward to Iowa-Stanford in the final. So on the opposite end of the top seeds, 
You know, in the men's uh, bracket, we're always talking about the 12 or the 10 or, the, or 13 or somebody that can sneak in there or a first four. Last year, UCLA was a first four team that made it to the final four. Who is your sleeper of this bracket? Well, if you're going really, really deep sleeper, and you're looking at a, you know, maybe an 11 or a 12 or a 13 that can make the Elite Eight, Buffalo's kind of a fun team, and they can score. In Tennessee, their the first-round opponent can kind of struggle on the offensive end. Now that they don't have Jordan Horst anymore as their best player, that Tennessee team can, can really, the pendulum can swing big time either way on them. And then, theoretically, Buffalo, of course, Buffalo would have to beat Tennessee on its home court. So, you know, that is obviously a factor in the women's game, too, is these higher seeds get to play at home in the first two rounds. But then the next, the next opponent would likely be Oregon, and that's a beatable team, too. Now, Buffalo's not super physical, but in the Ace Affair, they've got one of the best scorers in the country, and she, I mean, she could blow up. She could get in the 30s against both of those teams. So if you're looking really, really deep, the team that kind of jumps out at me is Buffalo. Charlie, what do you got coming up during the tournament? I'm sure you're a big part of the coverage, right? Uh, not from a TV standpoint, but from a ESPN.com standpoint, I am. Yeah, in fact, uh, have some regional previews coming out tomorrow that I just, you know, banged out on the keyboard this morning. Um, I'll do some reseeding after the first couple days of the tournament. So it, it, I stay plenty busy. Uh, the, the, Lenardi gets to take the rest of the tournament off and enjoy it as a bracketologist. <laughs> I go right back to work. And, and I think he makes more money than me, too. So <laughs> I, I, need, I, need, I need a better agent. Let's do it. Well, you know, he's got he's got a little more time in than you do, so these, he does. these, these things happen. And, and, I, and I, I admit, you know, the men's the men's thing is a little more high profile than, than yeah. my gig. So totally. I guess I'll I guess I'll cut it some. All I know is you gave UNLV a shot, and you deserve a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Willie, I will take it. You are are you do we have time to be my agent? Sure, why not? Let's he's go. got all the time in the world. What's he doing? It. Come on. All right, Charlie. <laughs> hey, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for checking in. Hey, great talking to you guys. Best best local sports show in town. Love it. You, I listen to you guys all the time. We appreciate that. Thanks a lot. You got it. Now Charlie just booked himself a second spot. Yeah. Final four. He's in. Yeah. Now, now he's a regular. <laughs> Ari, he's, I want him in. <laughs> so, all you got to know, just kiss our ass. If you and I'll be with twice. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.